Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up on this week's edition of The Intersection, it's noted author, speaker, and researcher Shanti Feldhahn who offers some insight on research regarding marriage and shares hope for marriages in Christ. Then, David Curry of the Advocacy Organization on behalf of Persecuted Christians Open Doors USA, bringing insight into the latest World Watch List of leading persecutors of Christians. And on this edition of The Intersection, Melissa Highland of Beautiful Feet International believes in the exporting of a pro-life message all around the world and provides motivation for Christians to share the love of Jesus. Her comments are ahead. Finally, cancel culture is a subject of concern for Christians who find there is widespread intolerance for our biblically-based convictions. Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries analyzes the problem and shares direction for responding. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Shanti Feldhahn is a well-known author, speaker, and researcher. She has provided insight throughout the years on trends impacting the church. I caught up with Shanti recently prior to a series of events featuring her and her husband, Jeff, in the Faith Radio coverage area. Here is part of that conversation with the author of books, including Find Joy, A Devotional Journey to Unshakable Wonder in an Uncertain World, and For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men. This is Shanti Feldhahn now. It is such a widespread idea that we have a 50% divorce rate, that it just sort of makes sense that only a third of marriages would be happy, right? And it turns out that is an urban legend. We have never gotten close to a 50% divorce rate as a culture, never even touched, never even gotten within like striking distance of that number. And so that's one of the things that we're gonna be talking about um, on Sunday at Harvest because if we, um, if we live in this idea that, you know, flip the coin, half of all marriages end in divorce, what are you going to do? It starts to build a culture-wide feeling of futility about mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. And what we, what we found, it's, and it makes total sense if you think about it, is that there's really only one factor under whether a marriage survives or fails. There's many problems or many issues in play, but in terms of the common denominator under the outcome that happens, it's whether a couple has a sense of hope or a sense of futility, right? Like it's whether they, you know, they can be going through a really bad season, but if they think, you know what, we're going to make it, we're going to be fine. They generally are. It's when you start thinking that the ship is going to sink anyway, that you start thinking, well, why bother spending so much money and energy and time trying to bail it out, right? Like mm-hmm. you start thinking better just to work on escaping the wreck intact. And instead, what we found is that our sense that there's this feeling of futility about marriage, there's really not much you can do, it's kind of half and half, that sucks the hope out of people right when they need it the most. And it's all based on a lie. It's not true. That's amazing. And when you're talking about Christian marriages and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. it sounds like to me that Christians really have that source of strength that they can draw on to help them withstand even the most difficult marital situations. 
Yeah, and one of the biggest things that we have to debunk, and you may be listening to this from hundreds of miles away and have no ability to get the harvest on that on that day, <laughs> but if you're listening to this, start helping me debunk this one idea, because one of the biggest myths that we've all been discouraged by is the idea that the rate of divorce is the same in the church. We've all mm. heard that. I used to say that, right? Like I used to stand on stage and say, you know, we got to do better, right? Because the rate of divorce is the same in the church. And it turns out that's not true either. It's That comes from this misunderstanding of a George Barna study from quite a few years ago, where he found if you called people on the phone and asked, you know, are you a Christian? Are you a Jew? Are you an atheist? Are you a, you know, whatever? Those people have the same divorce rates, like belief systems. But that specifically excluded whether that person went to church. Once you add that back into the data, I partnered with Barna and I bought that data set and we reran those numbers mm. <laughs> with that factor added back in of but was their faith part of their life? Do they go to church? Like, that's a, that's a pretty big question. And once you add that back in, every study that has ever been done, and I'm really not exaggerating here, every study that has ever been done, both what we did with Barna and everybody else, has found that when you add in church attendance, the divorce rate plummets, and that it makes all the difference in the world. If you are in a community of people, if you're listening to God's word, if you're around people who can kind of look at you and go, you know, are, are you and John okay? Hmm. Like that kind of input and that kind of community life and that ability to tap into what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, that is priceless. And we have to get rid of this idea that it doesn't matter. Shanti Feldhahn here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Shanti, that's S-H-A-U-N-T-I dot com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's David Curry. He serves as president and CEO of Open Doors USA. And in a recent conversation, he provided insight into the 2022 World Watch List, identifying the nations who are the leading persecutors of Christians around the world. He highlighted several countries that are especially concerning. From that overall conversation... Here now is David Curry. What has happened is that in August, when the collapse of the civilization happened there, you had the Taliban immediately going to a list of prominent Christians and trying to uncover through them the network of Christians in that country, not so that they could reward them or cheer them on, of course, but so that they could target them for death and punishment. And that that crackdown on immediate crackdown on that Christian network, which has now gone underground and scattered, uh, is is part of the reason why Afghanistan is number one on the world watch list today. We I need to say though, it doesn't mean that North Korea has all of a sudden gotten better. It's number two. Its score has gone up as well, but it's just that Afghanistan this year since August has had so many incidents of violence that we can document. Uh, against Christians, even in that very difficult context, that it's number one this year. I think your listeners will find it interesting that when you look at the the whole package of the top ten, you're talking largely about extremist, religious extremist 
primarily Islamic ex- ex- extremists who are targeting Christians. But there's also India on the list. So let me just go through them. Afghanistan is number one. Then you have North Korea. That's really the standout as far as it's, it's not driven primarily by religious ideology. This is a political ideology. There is a cult-like following that's enforced in North Korea, and uh, people would be familiar with the great deprivation there. But then you start getting into countries like Somalia at number three and Libya and Yemen at number five. So I look at this as part of the part of the package that we're looking at is we have to see that when you have failed states that have either strong tribal or or religious ideologies in the extreme, you're going to have great violence and chaos that's going to not just affect Christians, that's obviously what this list is about, but there are other societal impacts as well. There's terrorism and that can be fomented in these areas. There's economic deprivation. There's going to be sex trafficking issues around what happens in these regions. So these are really troubled regions, and I think the key thing is that you have ideologies which crack down on faith and, and really the freedom of conscience. People are not allowed to, to decide what they believe or if they believe in a particular faith. They're forced into a particular uh, set of, uh, of re- extreme religious values. So that is really telling as far as causes and trends. The, uh, number six, you have Eritrea, which is which is always uh, sort of forgotten in the mix. It's, it's run, it is a government run by Islamic extremists, which has grandfathered in some Orthodox church, but then the pressure on that church is ex- exceptional and extreme, and the, and the inhumanity that is done when, when Christians are arrested and imprisoned and is, is horrible, we, and we want to call that out, certainly. Then you have a Nigeria. Nigeria is interesting, Bob, because it is indicative of a larger trend. The, the Sahel region of Africa, which is that middle band across the continent of Africa, is now, in our view, based on our data, the epicenter of jihadi violence against Christians. You have two, at least, and there's other fraction, uh, smaller fractions of, of these groups, two terrorist groups, which are strong and gaining strength. You have Boko Haram, which is a very ISIS-affiliated. People would recognize what that looks like, even if they don't know the name. Uh, they have Boko Haram, and then they have Fulani, which has typically been seen sort of uh, as, a, as a regional tribal group, but they also have an extreme ideology. And those two groups in Nigeria have now taken, uh, largely taken over the, the tenor and the tone of what happens in northern Nigeria, even though the government hasn't admitted that they've lost that territory. The reality is they're controlling what happens there. They're attacking Christians, burning entire towns or villages that have Christians in them, uh, all manner of things that like kidnapping. Over a 1,000 uh, young women were kidnapped this year in uh, Nigeria, Christian women. So there, there are these major issues. It's significant enough that it's happened in Nigeria, but now it's tipping over into other areas in that band across the continent. David Curry here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to opendoorsusa.org. 
This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. There are also links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. The founder and president of the pro-life ministry Beautiful Feet International, Melissa Highland, visited with me recently and discussed her work with pregnancy resource centers and other types of pro-life ministry on an international basis. She also shared some of the principles from her book, Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. Here now is Melissa Highland. What we do is we start international pregnancy centers, and the Lord really stirred my heart to get involved with um, pro-life ministry, with pregnancy ministry in the United States a long time ago, back in the 90s. And what really drew me to it was, was the value of the unborn child, absolutely, but also the fact that when women are in crisis, that is a time when they are so really open to the gospel. We mm. know that the definition of crisis is what I've been doing up till this point isn't working anymore. I need something new. And so many times they're open to hearing the message of the gospel. And when they hear the beauty of the gospel, which is how much God loves them and that God has a special plan for every person for them and their child, then it enables them to be able to choose life and not only to choose life, but to be able to raise her child to know and love the Lord. Mm. What is it about pro-life work that really attracted you to get involved in it in the first place? Um, It was that the opportunity to really Um, touch women and help women that are hurting and to be able to show them the love of Jesus so that they understand that, hey, they don't have to do this on their own, that they are loved, that God loves them, that God loves their child and has a plan for both of them Mm. and for us to be able to come alongside them throughout their pregnancy and and even once the child is born and to um, guide them and direct them in what it means to be a mom, what it means to be a child of God. What do you see? And I know every country has its own unique situation with regard to the abortion issue and pro-life work, but are there maybe some common threads that you see in dealing with pro-life ministry internationally? Yes, that's that's a great question. Um, so I don't. A lot of people don't realize that abortion is rampant around the world. People will ask me, "Is abortion a problem in whatever country they say?" In whatever country it is, the answer is. Yes, Mm. abortion is a huge problem around the world. And one of the things that I see, um, particularly working in developing countries, is uh, poverty is a huge driver for this because they feel that I can't take care of the children that I have. Even amongst believers and even leaders in the church at times will think, well, I can't take care of the children that I have. Surely God wouldn't want me to have another one. 
share with me about your inspiration to actually share some of these concepts in book form. I've been taking mission teams around the world for over 20 years. And um, so I noticed that a lot of times, and I've been with a lot of other organizations too, and I noticed a lot of times that on these short-term trips, there's so much emphasis on preparing physically for the things that you need to do. You know, how do you pack and, um, and, you know, getting your passport and getting your visa. And there are just a lot of details that need to be dealt with. And sometimes I think the spiritual aspect of preparation gets overlooked. And that's really the most important part of the preparation because as you know, when we're doing God's work, we have an enemy that is going to attack us and going to try to, discourage us from going. And so I wrote this book um, and there are kind of themes that I see. We know that our enemy is not creative. He kind of does the same thing all the time. And so I saw common ways that people were being attacked and discouraged from going. And so um, I just wrote a devotional, a 30 day devotional, and it has something a theme each day to help prepare the people that are going on short-term trips, a scripture and a story from things that we've seen in our, in our ministry to encourage them and to keep them on the path. Another reason that I wrote it is because sometimes the teams that are going don't have a lot of time with each other before they get on the field because, you know, they're just in different places in the country or other reasons. And so this is kind of a team unity building exercise as well, because everyone on the team does the same devotional each day, even though they may not be physically together, they're doing the same devotional, reading the same scripture. So it helps to bond the team before they get on the field to do the work. That was Melissa Highland here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to beautifulfeetinternational.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the president of Summit Ministries, Jeff Myers, discussing various aspects of cancel culture as he relates in the book, 20 Things to Say and Do to Fight the Cancel Culture, How to Be an Everyday Champion for Free Speech. From that conversation, this is Jeff Myers now. If you're talking about how to avoid being in a situation where disagreement turns into uh, nastiness, that's one strategy. But there are organizations out there, if you have been in a situation where expressing your viewpoint has gotten you in trouble somehow, where your, your job is being threatened or you're experiencing some kind of harassment, there are organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom, First Liberty, Liberty Council, the Beckett Fund, and other legal organizations that can help you. Hopefully, most people never get to that place where they would need those services, but Bob, they're there if somebody does need them. Uh, But I would like to spend the time talking about what you, what you, how how you engage in dialogue to begin with. And if you can kind of picture in your mind a one-dimensional line, and on one end of that line is the word aggression, on the other end of that line is avoidance. That's where most people are. They go back and forth between aggression and avoidance. Aggression is the kind of clickbait that you see on the Internet all of the time. Watch so-and-so absolutely smash all arguments and leave his opponent speechless in 15 seconds or whatever. 
right? So it's very aggressive. I dropped the mic on you. You should feel ashamed to even exist. On the other side, the other extreme, though, is avoidance. And that is, well, you have your truth. I have my truth. Mm. Or I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. Or we can't really ever know the truth, right? So you so that's the spectrum. Most people go from aggression to avoidance. Some ministries, and this is based on a book that one of our speakers, Jason Jimenez, wrote called Challenging Conversations. We suggest making it two-dimensional. So take that one-dimensional line and put a triangle at the top of it. So instead of moving from aggression to avoidance, we instead become advocates. That's the third word, be an advocate. You're an advocate for two things. You're an advocate for the truth. At the same time, you are an advocate for the other person. So you, you kind of imagine that you're not butting heads with somebody else, but you're side by side walking toward discovering the truth. That's the ideal. That's where you want to be. How do you get there? Usually it's by asking questions. A lot of times Christians wade into the conversation by taking over the conversation. Well, this is what I think, and they say it in such a way that anybody who disagrees feels like they're kind of being excluded out of the conversation or, or they feel like they're, they ought to think of themselves as being ashamed or feel silly if they disagree. As Christians, we want to invite people into the conversation. Bob, I think we're actually, for the first time that I remember, and I work with college students for, for two decades now, we're in the, this is the first time where Christians are the ones opening up the conversations rather than closing them down. And college campuses are the ones closing down the conversations rather than opening them up. And we do that by asking questions. So if somebody gives their viewpoint, first of all, ask them to define their terms. You say that gender and sexuality are different things. What do you mean by gender? What do you mean by sexuality? Then you can ask for people's stories. Somebody says to you, I could never believe in a God who would allow evil. Just say, well, that sounds like there's a really deeply held belief, you know, is there a story behind that? Did you mm. have an experience that led you to that? Because I'd sure like to hear it. You can also ask questions like, how do you know that's true? A lot of people just assume that whatever they think is what is true because it's, you know, they're speaking their truth. Uh, that's true for me. But people all recognize that they've, they've got to give evidence for the viewpoint that they are taking. If, you, if you're on the other end of that question as a Christian, don't feel like you always have to give an answer. Don't make stuff up. Just say, wow, that's a really good question, and I want you to know I'm not prepared to answer it. But would it be all right if I take a little bit of time and get back to you tomorrow? Maybe we can have coffee and have more of a conversation about it. And then you can look for some resources online, turn to ministries like Summit Ministries at summit.org. We've got a lot of resources that can help you. Then you can grow more confident, but also grow more conversant. And those two things always go hand in hand. Mm. Jeff Myers here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website summit.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. 
You can learn more about video content as well. There's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can find video conversations, including excerpts from the National Religious Broadcasters and Christian Product Expo events. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms. Just search for Faith Radio Podcast. When you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.